Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the lines today for our series on women in the judiciary is Judge Mohire Masipa from the KwaZulu-Natal Division of the High Court. Welcome to the show. Morning and thank you for having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure and we are really looking forward to hearing more about the work that you do and uh, some of the historic elements in your career. So to begin with, Judge Masipa, prior to becoming a judge, you established your own legal practice, Masipa Nepal Incorporated, and thereafter Masipa Incorporated. You've been an arbitrator as well as a commissioner. What prompted you to pursue law as a career path? Well, uh, what prompted me to pursue law um, was the injustice which I observed happening in the maintenance cases when I used to visit maintenance courts with my grandmother um, when I was young. Um, I was uh, also influenced in growing up um, by Judge Mukhari Lusimai Lula, the first African woman to be appointed as a judge in 1995, whom I observed growing through the ranks of uh, being an advocate uh, to becoming a judge. I then um, believed from that that I could also achieve similarly if I worked hard and focused. You know, that aspect about role modeling is so important. One cannot un- underestimate it, of people being able to, to see other women achieving in their careers and providing a, a, a vision for, for one to follow through with. Yes, it does. It does. Um, in fact, you know, we have a whole lot of other strong um, women, other than Judge Marilula, Judge um, Togozile, Matilda Masipa, um, who was the second African uh, woman to be appointed as a high court judge, Judge Yvonne Mohoro, the first African woman to be appointed in the Constitutional Court in 1994, um, and people like Judge Madisa Maya. All fantastic women in their own rights. It is. Mm, Can you tell us more about the process of becoming a judge in South Africa? Well, not everyone in the the legal profession ends up in the judiciary. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifices um, in order to end respect, collegiality, a lot of sleepless nights and support from family and members of the profession. And I'd imagine that there is a significant amount of weight that comes with the role because the judgments that you are putting out really have life-changing consequences and they set future precedents. Yes, they do. I wanted to, uh, for instance, um, refer to um, a few of my judgments, like... um, I had um, the, the matter of NM versus John Wesley School, where I ruled that private schools may not exclude learners from writing examinations on the basis of parents having failed to pay their school fees. This protects um, the right to education um, and is well uh, looking into the best interest of children, which is enshrined in our constitution. 
and that is a landmark judgment. It was a, a very, um, you know, good judgment. Um, and um, recently, the Constitutional Court um, adopted a similar approach um, in the matter of Pridwin Preparatory School. Because one cannot underestimate the value of education. And if you denied your education when you have done the learning and it's, and I say simply, obviously it's not simply because these are institutions that require funding, but you cannot be denied being able to uh, attain your education purely because you can't afford to pay the fees. Yes. Looking at your, your career, besides these two cases, what other ones come to mind as, as being particularly memorable? Well, um, there's um, also a rape case where um, I convicted an accused who had raped 23 women, most of whom were minors. Sadly, by the time the matter came to trial, only three of, of the 23 were still um, able to pursue the case. I, um, although disappointing, I was quite impressed by the evidence of the two young females from the three um, and their bravery in dealing with their case. They were subject to one of the most humiliating and degrading rape ordeal, taken from the safety of their home and then raped several times by the perpetrator who initially planned to kill them and then left them naked in the middle of the night in the bushes for them to walk for a distance to seek assistance. As you're saying that, my whole skin has gone cold. Absolutely horrendous. It is. As we, a gender-based program, we often look at issues that affect women, and and here you're highlighting the plight of of minors. We know that gender-based violence and sexual harassment are a constant battle, and in this case, you've indicated that you've convicted someone who raped 23 women. What types of solutions do you see moving forwards to to help combat gender-based violence? Well, um, my view um, on this issue is that we need to actively educate society in order to influence behavioral change. I have also dealt with many appeal cases where children below the age of 13 were raped by their fathers and I have thought, I have through my own limited research learned that these fathers believe it is their right or entitlement to have conducted themselves in that manner. Now, this kind of conduct passes from generation to generation with males believing that it is a sign of strength and power to raise those who cannot fight for themselves. So we have to have almost a, a rewiring of society, particularly men. Yes, we do. You know, um, and, and what is worse is women in, in rural areas have been taught to be submissive to men and you know, not to stand up for themselves against violence. An and introduction of a gender-sensitive curriculum, perhaps in life orientation in schools, would go a long way in instilling this behavioral change. And when you speak about women in, in rural circumstances and environments, they probably went through this experience themselves. So in a way, they've almost become normalized to it, and they yes. also don't see anything wrong. They do. 
You know, and, and, um, and, and gender-based violence in these days is a major challenge in this country. And I'm, I was thinking perhaps a user-friendly, user-friendly community centers must be established and staffed with qualified people like social workers and psychologists to support victims. Well, I also believe that um, there's a lot of training that needs to be provided, for instance, to members of the police who deal with gender-based violence to ensure that they have requisite skills to deal with these cases. In instances where a victim of rape was sent home and told to return the following day are highly unacceptable and severely prejudicial to society and would obviously discourage victims from coming forward. Listening to what you say, we've almost got two sides of, of a coin where we've got the, the work that needs to happen in the uh, towards the public and citizens of, of the country. But then we also need that once, uh, let's say, an incident has occurred, that our authorities have the relevant information and are empowered to deal with the situation in an empathetic and sensitive way that helps the victims get get through their ordeal. Yes. You know, um, informed that, um, for instance, in, in Venda, um, in Limpopo province, they have um, such similar centers uh, where they include chiefs, hospital police members, um, and members of society, um, and that these work very well. Thinking from your position today, in the the judicial and legal space. Do you feel that the South African legal system has developed according to your expectations? Well, (laughs) the South African legal system has um, developed and evolved a lot since 1994. The introduction of um, our constitution and the supreme law and the constitutional court to have a final say in constitutional matters has gone a long way in ensuring that... um, the protection um, and promotion of social justice. Section 39 of our constitution requires the court to develop common law and customary law and to protect and promote um, the spirit and objectives of the Bill of Rights. This means that we as judges have a duty to ensure that human rights are protected and enforced amongst others. And um, also in doing this, um, judges contribute to making law by influencing amendments um, to statutes and the introduction of new laws. And in order to ensure that the judicial system is accessible to all, our government has gone a long way, increasing the capacity of, um, for instance, um, areas of focus of the Legal Aid Board to um, represent impecunious members of society um, then also another important factor is the introduction of high courts in all of the provinces. For example, um, the High Court of Limpopo and that one of Mpumalang. And it seems like it's an ongoing, continuous evolution that as we come across more cases, that the system is, is continuously adapting to meet the requirements and, and demands of, of the country. Yes, um, you know, it's, it's something that we continuously need to do. And hence, um, every now and then, um, there's um, specialized courts established in order to deal with um, specific areas of focus. 
Thinking about your role as a woman within the legal system, we know that gender inequality is is pervasive across many sectors and and industries in society. Having been in the legal system, what would be your advice on how to resolve the problem of inherent sexism, which mirrors many sectors across our society? Well, um, as women, we need to face sexism head on. There are laws which um, are in place which um, protect society against um, such conduct, and there are institutions in place to deal with any form of sexism. Society also needs to be informed of this. Another challenge that we have is that sexism is deep-rooted in the upbringing. It, it therefore requires a change in a state of mind and societal norms. This means, for instance, that we must change the manner in which we raise our children and we must educate the adults. We need to learn as society to respect one another and to treat the next gen- gender as equal. And you said something very important there about how we raise our children. And the fact of the matter is that child-rearing as a responsibility often falls squarely on the shoulders of women. As a, as a country, we have got many of our women are, are single parents. And with that responsibility, this, well, in a way, women are actually responsible for how our, our future society evolves because of how they nurture the next generation. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I, I am a very strong believer um, in um, reasonable accommodation um, in, in the workplace. It has always been a societal expectation that um, family functions are performed by women. And, um, indeed, we lose a lot of productive women in different fields because um, of the main structured hours which do not accommodate women and allow them to fulfill their family responsibilities while excelling in their work. You're a mom and you have a very active career. How have you managed to overcome and incorporate balance so that you're still able to maintain the home and fulfill your your professional aspects? Well, um, perhaps the, the slight advantage uh, that I have um, is that I'm raised by a single parent as well. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I've had um, a lot of support, uh, family support from them. Um, and I've had to balance um, between the two, between my family responsibilities and my workplace. The support, family support, um, made a huge difference in my life. Um, also, you know, support from um, my colleagues and my friends where it was necessary. It, it probably assisted a bit um, that uh, I was um, in um, a small practice and um, could um, have uh, flexible working hours when, um, you know, in um, the normal workplace, this is not um, easily available. And thinking along the lines of the normal workplace, like you said, traditionally things have been structured around what I would almost phrase man's hours. 
gender quotas are not universally accepted in the workplace. But yet I'd argue that they're often a necessity to help promote equality and increase the ratio of women in decision-making roles. What's your view on this as well as legislation to try to drive behavioral change? Well, we have some legislation um, drive, you know, driving behavioral change, um, and these include, amongst others, the Employment Equity Act and um, its associated guidelines dealing with, uh, for instance, sexual harassment in the workplace, the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act um, to deal with discriminations and harassments in the workplace. These are um, important um, pieces of legislation which we must vigorously apply, um, you know, without any fear or favor in order to ensure that um, they impress on the importance of a change in human behavior. Do you think people are sufficiently aware of these types of, of, of legislative elements and acts and know how they can apply them? Well, um, to a limited extent, yes, um, a very limited extent, uh, because um, it, it's mainly only in um, government um, uh, entities where you find um, that these um, legislations are displayed, you know, either in the walls or in the notice boards um, as you walk across. Uh, but uh, most um, employees are actually not aware of um, the existence of uh, these legislations. And I think more needs to be done to um, educate uh, and inform the public about their existence and how they operate, um, which would obviously guide them to know their rights more and um, on how to pursue them or where to go when um, there is any such um, issues arising. And you're right, from a government point of view, it is relatively simple in terms of having a a poster that displays the terms of the Act. That if every workplace were able to display the Act's then people would be informed. They would have have the have the time and, and the knowledge to know what what is available to protect them. Yes. And what do you think about legislation in relation to closing gender caps? I know that you spoke about the Employment Equity Act, uh, and I I think that some of the components in the Act speak about pay, promotion, and position. It's um you know all about um, affirmative action related um, issues um, and um, I'm a very strong believer in affirmative action um, in terms of um, our laws substantive um, and not um, formal equality in the workplace which um, needs to be enforced and um, in order to address the issues of um, gender parity it is um, very disappointing you know um, in um, this era that um, women in similar positions as as men are paid less salaries. It is um, also unreasonable and unfair that, you know, women are overlooked for promotions that they deserve. And, um, you know, um, as you say, despite the existence of um, these legislations, um, we... we, um, and, and, and um, the, the example that we have from the national government where, you know, the issue of gender uh, quotas is um, more 
considered and applied um, versus um, in other employment areas which um, still reserve positions for men. Thanks for expanding on almost what I was would phrase as the toolkit that we have that is available, but unfortunately lacks implementation. And if we were able to generate greater awareness uh, amongst the public, then they would be able to utilize these tools for their benefit. Yes. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Judge Mohere Masipa from the KwaZulu-Natal Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of our conversation, Judge Masipa walked us through some of the components in her career as well as pivotal cases which led to providing precedence for future cases, particularly in the education sector. We also spent time looking at some of the enabling aspects of legislation to help empower women. Judge Masipa, thinking from an education point of view, because in this program we are strong believers in the benefits of education as an enabler for women. Your LLM thesis was on the effect of African cultural practices on family responsibility leave and we already highlighted briefly in terms on the working world of being designed around men's hours where society is almost losing half of its best multitaskers from the workforce due to traditional expectations from women to reform their work timetable according to family needs. What's your view of this? And do you think that in the 21st century, it's about time that something is restructured to accommodate women's multiple roles? Well, um, there definitely is um, a need uh, to restructure the workplace um, to um, accommodate women. Um, I guess, COVID-19 has uh, somewhat uh, forced employers to have a mind shift in, um, um, since it created a si- situations where people can stay at home and still remain productive. It, it had to take um, a deadly virus for this practice to be implemented when these measures um, were always available. Um, as um, it is always said, Change is um, a difficult thing and employers um, had to be forced into it. At least we get one benefit out of COVID-19. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But you're, you're so right in terms of being confronted with this, this type of change and challenge that by being able to work from home, um, that hopefully once COVID-19 has uh, lessened its impact and we can return to a, a better stage of normality, that maybe working from home does become the norm. Hope, I definitely hope that happens. And thinking along the lines of on, on COVID-19, how are you finding your workplace adapt and, and change? Because, you know, we can't be physically 
present and you're having to deal with cases. How are the courts running and, and operating in these conditions? Well, um, a very slow introduction of web-based court process. There seems to be a lot of resistance uh, from the profession with practitioners still holding on to the old system. As an example, I have noticed that um, practitioners ignore the practice directives issued by our judge president um, for the KZN division setting out the conduct of proceedings during this um, period. They overlook the dangers of the disease in favor of appearing in court, which um, appears to be beneficial. Um, the, the, you know, because of the new normal, people working from home reduces um, overheads for them, um, the need for office space, um, and it creates uh, the convenience to multitask. I, I, however, cannot ignore the devastating effects of um, loss of life um, and of employment um, caused by the pandemic. No, of of course not. The, the social and economic impact has, has really been devastating. So um, yes, it, you know, I, I say it in, in, in a bit of jest in terms of, of a benefit, um, yes. but, but really the, the reality is, is far more uh, somber and, and severe. Yes, it is. Thinking about women and managing their multiple roles, what would be your advice to women who find themselves torn between trying to fulfill traditional and cultural expectations of them as, as women, as mothers, as wives, as well as their own personal needs, like gaining an academic education and, and building a professional career? Well, um, education is an important and powerful tool in our lives. Tradition and culture have never been against education. And in fact, they, they promote development. I've seen this with um, my grandmother and um, great women like Charlotte Mahomu Manya Matrike, the first black woman graduate with a university degree in 1901. Women must further their education since it is a strong, empowering tool. And we must also seek to pursue whatever career choices without fear of societal judgments. And on that note, from an education point of view, I mean, personally, I've experienced the, the benefits of education and considering how it, it's opened my horizons, how you're exposed to things that you would never have even considered as, as potential career options. Yes. We have um, for a long time been um, limiting ourselves you know, and our capabilities um, in um, various areas um, of, of, of practice um, in, in the law um, and in other sectors, in engineering, for instance, you know, um, those are options that are available to us and um, we must definitely take them on and, um, you know, um, defy the odds. You've achieved so much in your career so far and, and really are, are an example of a role model. We spoke about role model right at the beginning of, of the conversation. Um, 
One of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their various fields of expertise is about the factors that they think have contributed to their success. I'll, for example, never forget a, a conversation with Rebecca Malope where she spoke about the fear of failure um, that was one of the components that, that drove her. Uh, other people speak about a, a particular person in their lives or perseverance. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? Well, um, I have um, learned to work hard. That um, I've learned that um, it's dedication pace. Um, I've um, also learned um, through time that um, you need to have um, support, support of family, support of society, support of um, your peers. Um, I've also learned um, to me a, a very important factor that um, with education, we learn every day and we learn from everyone that we interact with. And that um, we must never look down on people because we never know what they have to offer. And can you share with us who've been some of the strong women in your life? Um, I have um, already um, mentioned um, a few as um, I was talking earlier on. The, um, the judges um, from the various courts, um, Judge Mailula, Judge Masipa, um, Judge Mohoro. Um, personally, um, my late grandmother, whose upbringing, intelligence, generosity, empathy have molded me into the person I am. I'm forever grateful to have crossed her path um, and to have been very fortunate to be raised by a very strong woman who had um, in her life taken children whose parents could not afford and gave them education and brighter futures. She taught me that when you give, you do so because you do not expect anything in return. She's also taught me discipline and dedication. Yes. The other strong woman is um, my mother, a single parent, as I mentioned earlier. And um, she taught me the power of sacrifice and persistence. She's also taught me the importance of family support and the strength of education. Each person you mentioned seems to have really put through an, an important life lesson. Generosity, nurturing, perseverance, self-sacrifice, supportiveness. Thinking back to life as you were growing up, can you tell us about some of the important moments? Um, what has um, had an, a biggest impact um, to me and to the person that I am today, basically giving, making me, um, or giving me the desire to achieve and the persistence um, was that um, 
my grandmother passed away um, in my first year of university when I was doing my BPROC uh, degree, which um, interfered with my exam. And um, in a discussion with um, some senior males from my family earlier the following year, they suggested that uh, law was too heavy for me and that um, I should consider something lighter, like teaching. I discussed this issue with my mother, who encouraged me to pursue my dreams. That is so significant. I mean, can you imagine if you'd given up right there in that first year? And you've gone on to to succeed in in every sense of the word. We spoke a a bit about some of the lessons that you've taken out and and the value through your, your grandmother and your mom. Thinking about what you know today, what would be one of the best lessons that you've learned in your career? I have um, learned that uh, you need to be true to your goals and to make sure that you lead them to finality. You, uh, you know, must never let anyone come um, in between your uh, goals and um, your dreams. And you must always ensure that um, you persist in achieving them. There are challenges that will come. You need to tackle them head on. But you must always remain true and never allow anything to deviate you from from your intended goals. And that's living your your purpose. And sometimes I think, you know, when you you spoke about earlier how you had senior male members in in your family um, potentially saying that pursuing your career in law may be a bit too heavy. It's actually their insecurities that are speaking about it because they couldn't comprehend what you were doing and they couldn't materialize in their own processing your dream. And like you said, every person has got their dream, their purpose. And it's up to them to manifest their goals into reality. Yes. Now, lastly, July is traditionally celebrated as Nelson Mandela Month. Our former president was an absolute advocate for women's empowerment. In honor of his memory, and as we close out our conversation, please could you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women in Africa that are listening to our show? I would um, first like to extend my deepest condolences to the Mandela family on the passing of Madiba and Mama Winnie's last born, Zinzi, who uh, was our female ambassador to Denmark. May her soul rest in peace. As women, we must aspire not to pull each other down. We have come a long way since the days of fighting gender disparity like the past laws in 1956. We, however, still have a long way to go, and we need to stand together and support each other in order to claim our space. And together, we will conquer. Aluta Continua. Thank you very much for those words of unity. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
And we wish you every success as you continue to grow and ascend through your career. And, and may you have a massive influence and impact on younger women in terms of choosing a path in law and possibly elevating to status of judge. I hope to do so. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Judge Mohera Masipa from the KwaZulu-Natal Division of the High Court.